0: All right, Welcome to Diamond Talk. This is uh, episode 5. My name is Marcus Cipolito, I'm the owner of In the Zone Baseball and Softball Academy. And I am joined by, once again, Coach Taylor Barjaki, who's our general manager. He's the assistant coach over at the College of St. Elizabeth. As well as Coach Jeff Falzerano. He's the head varsity baseball coach at Bernard's High School. Diamond Talk, if you're joining us for the first time, relates to the world of baseball and softball. Mainly as it relates to players from youth to college, their parents, supporters, as well as uh, coaches at the various level, local leagues, club, high school, and collegiate. And uh, we're going to be covering a lot of territory today. Very exciting stuff. Uh, We've got a couple of great drills for you uh, today, one for hitting and one for catching. Uh, We'll be talking about player and parent expectations. We're going to also be uh, speaking about the Let's Have a Catch organization. All right, we're gonna jump right into it today with the first quick tip of today, which is the nose behind bat drill. A lot of debate whether it was nose over bat, it's nose behind bat. We're gonna have a YouTube link that's going to send you to a video that we did of it, but it is inappropriately named nose over bat. Just to warn everybody ahead of time.
1: And we'll explain why yeah, it's we'll nose get, behind. Not we'll get right over. into it.
0: So um Like with any of our other quick tips, Coach Fowles, one of the best ways to start us off here is to tell us, is this age-specific? Is it for any age? Is it baseball? Is it softball? Is it both? Any age player, baseball, softball, both apply. Got it. Okay. Well, let's just jump right into the nose behind bat drill.
2: All right. The drill is about keeping your weight centered as you go into your load phase. Uh, We're so often telling our players to stay back, don't lunge as we're trying to talk them through the sudden weight shift or hip slide that often happens to kids sometimes due to a lack of strength, sometimes repeated poor movements that they have developed and other times due to anxiousness. So simply put, you're placing a bat on the ground in the center of your stance when you're at a tee, essentially a direct line under your nose. Uh, If you don't have a bat, you can use a cone, any other item that marks a spot, even a tape on the line. After the player loads in an approach to hit hit the ball off of a tee, He or she should then look down and see that he or she has their nose behind the bat so that they know they are still in a good hitting position after foot strike.
1: And the the reason we want to keep the nose behind the bat is because uh, if you have the player that's lunging or is too heavy on their front foot, it's going to cause their hands to drift either forward uh, or down behind them. So uh, that's going to take the the, the bat off plane. So you're going to get long in your swing or it could take you a little bit longer just to get to contact. So we want to make sure that the the weight's back after the foot hits the ground so that our back knee can initiate the weight transfer into the swing.
0: Got it. And like I mentioned at the top uh, of this piece, we are going to have a cl- link to the video. Uh, of, uh, And it's actually Coach Taylor that is performing the drill for you to take a look at it. Hey, I'm really, uh, really happy to have Coach Sam Fears here with us today to weigh in on uh, some of the differences between baseball and softball. Uh, in general, which might be obvious to some of you out there, but uh, she's also going to talk a little bit about baseball and softball at the college level and some of the pretty clear differences there, which are important to hear about. But before we get into that, Coach Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in the sport?
3: Sure. Firstly, thank you for having me. Um, I've been around the sport the majority of my life. I played Division three collegiate ball, and afterwards, I spent some time coaching high school ball, and then ultimately was the assistant pitching coach for Haverford College for five years before coming here.
0: That's awesome, and that's why uh, in the zone brought you in because you've been uh, you have the the experience and the background that you know we've been lucky enough to have around here uh, to bring to some of our players and some of the students over the years. And we were just talking; you've been at in the zone for three years now. Yes. Right? wow it's awesome so Luna you know, let's start with some of the key differences just in general and really not age specific between uh, baseball and softball and just some things that really people need to recognize you got a lot of a lot of fathers out there who mm-hmm. are involved in coaching their their daughters right yes. so especially a, a, a father that maybe has a younger daughter I may mean, not really know some of those differences what are some of the things you need to be aware of
3: yeah absolutely i mean first and foremost you think about uh the distance on the field that increases the speed of the game in softball you know once we get to the collegiate level our pitchers are thrown from 43 feet our bases are a standard 60 feet apart so the game moves much quicker yeah. um especially when you're thinking about the batting perspective too and the way we swing the bat uh also has some variance there because we are Dealing with uh, release from the hip instead of over the shoulder. So we have to think about that just in terms of physics and driving our back knee through the front knee and keeping nice and level there. Because if we get underneath it all, that's the end of our yeah. <laughs> hitting career, unfortunately. I also think a little bit about, ultimately, when you mentioned fathers and working with their young daughters, there's a lot of uh, young girls who will come in pushing the mm. softball because there's a lot of emphasis on like maybe my daughter will pitch and things like that so they think about that so a lot and not as much on making sure that we're actually having proper throwing mechanics not unlike what you guys do in baseball
0: yeah so just so you know we, me growing up and and I don't know how it it sounds saying it out loud now but <laughs> when you used to hear somebody would say you throw like a girl mm-hmm. is that where that comes from yeah <laughs> because yes. they, they were being taught to more push the ball they were just it really wasn't because they're a girl, that's how they threw, it's because somebody taught them wrong and it just became more common to teach it improperly?
3: I think that's part of it, yeah, and I think the other emphasis is, oh, like, that's just with the, they throw like a girl, it's yeah. just that ph- philosophy was sort of adopted, and it's like, let's just let them go however they're going to do it, mm. they're going to do it. And unfortunately, it results in a lot of injuries and a lot of unfortunate throws. Yeah, I,
0: I can only imagine. So. For players out there that are looking to play college ball and, and their their parents by proxy, uh, there's certainly some distinct differences that they should be aware of. So, uh, you know, how, how about you start off by talking about college softball pitchers, specifically?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's no uh, shortage of softball players that want to pitch in college, of course. Um, one of the things that I recommend to my girls a lot is to make sure they're very diversified in their experience, because in softball because we can theoretically throw much more often than in baseball than, uh, than baseball pitchers can when you get to the collegiate level and you look on collegiate rosters apart from d1 ball there's maybe a handful of pitchers on that roster two and two girls primarily who will throw mm. so if you come in as a PO you are up against a stud who may have been there or it was only in the sophomore year of her career and it's less likely you're going to see playing time right. at that point
1: yeah it's uh, from the baseball end of it you bring in, you bring in guys, you have a staff, you know, and from what I've learned over the over the years of just watching softball collegiately and and just coaching the girls through our various teams here is there's maybe two or three girls on a on a college softball roster as a pitcher and are pitchers only essentially. So it just, it's vastly different from baseball because you have a roster of we yeah, I mean we the College of St. Elizabeth have a roster of forty eight guys and 18 or 19 guys that can pitch, you know, so it's uh, it's definitely a lot a lot different from that aspect because you recruit, you go out there recruiting just POs, essentially, on the baseball end of it, so that's cool insight to just hear, you know, we, we want to start to teach our softball players not only to be pitchers, but to be, you know, other athletes on the field at all times.
0: Yeah, before we get to the last question, we talked about this offline and what led to the question about pitchers. The P.O. in softball is, is less common, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. Typically, if you have a, a P.O., it's maybe one per program, and she's it. And then they'll recruit another one after she graduates. So there you have your relievers. But being a P.O. is not as common as it is in baseball at all.
0: Yeah, so uh, girls that are out there now uh, looking to play college softball, one of the smartest they can do is be diversified. And, and your secondary position should not be an afterthought. You should be something that you're focusing just as much time and energy on developing.
3: Absolutely, and I would say that for any position, as well as uh, batting, too. If you, Even if you're a softball pitcher, you should be working on your hitting, because yeah. if you hit, you play.
0: Last question for you, Coach Sam. For parents and players out there that have an interest in playing college softball, how should they be setting their expectations now?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So... I think there's this fantasy world that a bunch of colleges are just going to come knock down your door when you're in 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, and then you'll be set. The reality is there's a lot of pursuit on your part if you want to play college ball. You have to reach out to coaches. You have to send schedules. You have to film and share it via email. You have to be active in your role there, about the place, especially in the places at which you aspire to play, because it is exceedingly rare that a D1 school will come and when you're in seventh grade and say we want you yeah um so if you want to play be active in that role and make sure you're continuing to diversify yourself as a player to make you as marketable as possible
0: yeah that's good advice and probably good advice for anybody that wants to play any sport collegiately Mm -hmm. unless you're that phenom that everybody knows your name chances are they don't know your name right yeah listen coach really appreciate you coming in sitting with us today look forward to having you back soon to talk more softball
3: of course thank you for having me
0: That was good stuff, and we're going to move on right now to our next quick tip of the show. And if you happen to catch any background noise of a baby crying behind a closed door in our office, that's Taylor's brand-new son, Charles, Mm -hmm. in the background crying and wreaking havoc in the lobby.
1: He wanted to come see Daddy at work today. He did.
0: We were going to let him push the buttons and see if he (laughs) said, um, like, and you know less than we do.
1: He probably would because he, he, he can't talk he, yet. Can't, he can't speak yet. So,
0: uh, so we're going to move <laughs> right into our next drill, and this is for catchers out there. And uh, before you get into it, Taylor, as always, let us know, is this constrained by ages? Is it constrained by baseball or softball?
1: Any age. Uh, this is more so geared toward younger players, but it's good for all catchers at any age, baseball or softball. Uh, it's a, it's just a great drill just to introduce them into blocking yeah. and uh, some of the more basic aspects of blocking.
0: And th- this is one we also have a video to yep. as well, right? So we'll have this uh, included in the link when we post our – this podcast is posted out there for you to take a look at. So, Taylor, why don't you just jump right into uh, the blocking drill?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, what I've learned from just working with catchers, uh, is, more specifically younger kids, is that you know, they just don't like getting hit with the baseball. And this, is a, and this is a great drill to introduce them to just simply blocking and getting comfortable with the ball hitting them. So uh, so this drill can be done, well, like I said e- earlier, either baseball or softball. And uh, you could put your – there's a couple different variations for it, but, I mean, the, uh, the basic version of it is you put your catcher in gear, full gear. You set them up in their blocking position so they're down on both knees, gloves tucked between the knees. Uh, throwing hand is behind the glove. Chest is leaning over the front so their butt should not be touching their heels and their chin. Uh, at the beginning of the drill, is they're they are looking at the coach in front of them, and then they're tracking the ball till it hits them in the chest. So all you're doing as a coach is just simply bouncing the ball to them, and just showing them that they're not going to get hit, or that they're not going to get hurt uh, from the ball hitting them.
0: They're going to um, get hit, aren't they?
1: No, they're definitely going to get hit. Um, so it's just uh, it's just more so about getting them comfortable with getting hit and just getting them used to the ball hitting them. Not trying to throw their arm in front of it, not turning their head, uh, keeping their keeping their face on the baseball or softball.
2: Great drill for learning and getting reinforcement for blocking. Uh, I think it's a f- fantastic thing for kids to do, and we can even evolve to that a little bit. And have them sit up, drop down, pop up mm-hmm. and down, get a little fitness out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thought is. Sometimes you can have one of the siblings throw some balls at them might make it a little, even a little more fun. A
1: little stress reliever for the so parents we, too. And
0: we are tennis balls at home. Yeah, this right? can be done with
1: a tennis ball, can be done with a baseball. So with my more advanced players, I'll actually start them off with a heavy ball just so that it also works on softening their chest. What you're looking for here in the drill is that, A, you know, you get the kid comfortable being hit, but you're looking for as the ball hits them that their shoulders to pop forward, so their chest – kind of goes into a concave position, and it just softens up their body so that the ball doesn't bounce. In the video, you'll see two examples, one of myself blocking with the chest out, and you'll see the ball pop off my chest and kind of go further away. And with the, with the other one where I'm essentially, quote, unquote, hugging the ball, uh, you'll see that the ball just stays within a very, very sh- a small circumference, and it doesn't get too far away
0: from Nice. Looks like a good one. We will have that video posted as well. And uh, before we move on to the next segment, I do want to celebrate something briefly, which is the first win of a brand new baseball program at College of Saint Elizabeth Ooh. yesterday for <laughs> Coach Taylor's team. So I'm going to give him sixty seconds, maybe two minutes, because it's 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 a lot, but to talk about yesterday's yeah. festivities. Yeah. So
1: yeah, you know, we came. How first the, off, how long was the game? The game was we started okay. at three thirty. Wait, it gets better. And we didn't finish. I think the last out was recorded at. Like ten to eight. Okay.
0: And was there any delays to the game? There
1: was no delays. And wait a minute,
0: did it go into extra innings?
1: Not extra innings. Right. Solid so nine ahead. inning game. Tell us all about it. Um, <laughs> so first inning, you know, we uh, it's it was kind of funny. We we didn't know what to expect. So our first inning, I'm expecting our guys to just be blown away, and and they really got up to the plate and competed. And that's just a true testament to all the hard work they've been putting in over the last couple months. Uh, they went up there, they competed. I think we put the ball in play twice and grounded out twice. Um, Second, then the bottom of the first comes around, and, and really quickly, Rutgers-Newark jumps out to a 6-0 lead. Mm-hmm. And we're just you – know, the coaches are just looking at each other. We're like, what's going to ha- – we didn't know what was going to happen next in terms of are our pitchers going to – how are they going to respond? How is the rest of the team going to respond? Because we came out with just a lot, a lot of energy. And uh, the, the first thing that I thought was going to happen, I'm really happy didn't happen. Uh, you know. And then third inning comes around. They put up another run, so now it's 7 nothing. And, you know, I grabbed the team after about the fourth inning. We were going into the bottom of the fourth and gave them a little pep talk and just kind of talked them through, you know, get the butterflies out. And just now it's time to go out there and work and compete and trust that everything we've done over the last couple months is, is going to pay off. And that inning we put up a four spot. And then we shut down inning, put up one, shut down inning. And then we uh, – the, the next two innings we put up two runs each and – you know these, these guys have been doing a great job just adopting some new philosophies with two-strike approaches uh, and really just kind of getting into their at-bats and really battling and working hard. And, and Myself and the rest of the coaches, we were, we were just extremely proud of the way these guys showed up and not only just showed up to play the game, but just their whole demeanor. I mean, when they walked on the field, they nothing seemed to bother them. Nobody seemed too high. Nobody seemed anxious. Every, it was just a, another day at the office for these guys, and that's saying a lot from – a bunch of 18- and 19-year-old kids that are – a lot of them it was just their first college game ever. Uh, So it was just – it was a really cool experience and really cool to be a part
0: of that. That, That's very cool. And it's – interestingly enough, and and probably no surprise to you guys, I'm going to find a way to bridge that to our next piece here. And and I'd have to believe, based on everything you just told me, that a lot of the reason for the way they approached their game at the beginning – the way they handled themselves midway and the way they competed and stayed in it is probably has a lot to do with the expectations that you guys set in your program as you recruited them beforehand, not only with them, I'm sure with their parents as well, through mm-hmm. the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we're going to be focusing on this next piece here is about setting expectations for parents and the players. And, uh, you know, what comes around a lot in club sports is expectations. And players, coaches – And uh, probably most importantly, parents uh, is where this is something that's constantly bubbling up to the top. And we deal with it a lot here. I know all the other programs in the area uh, deal with it. And it has nothing to do with baseball or softball. It's completely agnostic. Whether you're doing uh, club soccer, club lacrosse, high school ball, middle school ball, I don't think that you can escape uh, expectations coming up and creeping up uh, from from the unknown to, to bite you. And uh, sometimes dealing with parent and player uh, expectations that are really just un- unrealistic is, is where it becomes a challenge. So, so Taylor, I'm going to kick it back to you. If you had to come up with just one piece of advice, and I'm sure it's going to end up being a lot more than one piece of advice, but if all you were given was an opportunity to say one thing uh, to any parent or player out there, uh, any sport, relative to setting their expectations, what would it be?
1: Be appropriate, meaning choosing your moments for when you go and speak to a coach, whether it be positive or negative. Uh, Usually you get these conversations in a negative mindset, but sometimes it does happen in a positive mindset. And, you know, our kids, they learn from us. There's no more influential person than mom or dad, especially to a young kid. So use each situation as a teaching moment. For example, if a coach makes the decision to sit a kid for a few innings, the worst thing you can do is make yourself the center of attention by yelling at the coach for not playing your kid. This just 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 embarrasses the kid. So the kid's now sitting on the bench next to the coach that you're yelling at, uh, and it just it just it it, off, it opens them up to so many different variables. You know, one being you know, the the coach might actually penalize your kid more, treat them differently, and you know it's it's and that's the last thing that anybody wants. And I'm not saying that that's what we do here, but I mean in these town programs, you know, these are just other dads who are donating their time to to teach kids, and it's it's certainly a possibility. It could definitely happen.
0: Yeah, well, listen, good advice. And like I said, in, there's a lot more to this. We're going to cover a lot more here. Uh, but that's certainly, look, at the end of the day, if you only had to follow one rule for yourself, I think being appropriate can sum up a lot of things for a lot of areas. Coach Fowles, you've probably seen key, kids at a young age who were pretty advanced due to their size, their strength, or they just seemed to get it real early on, uh, earlier than other kids around them. But I bet at the same time you've also seen – You know, a lot of those kids that they grow up and they can grow out of the sport. And many times it's due to uh, parents' unrealistic expectations that they're setting on their behalf and then the subsequent pressure um, that they're putting on their kids.
2: Yeah, it's it's really hard to say who is driving the expectations of a high school kid, let alone a middle school kid and so on down the line. Um, And the aspect of growing out of a sport, well, there's a number of reasons why we feel that could happen. One could be the conflicting expectations, obviously. Um, It could have something to do with the youth coach, a parent, or the difficulty the sport brings. I mean, it is a difficult sport, and we know that uh, it's easy to quit something when it becomes difficult, whether that difficulty is caused by a conflicted expectation or that it's just plain hard to hit a baseball. I kind of feel like we want to try to teach our kids to advocate for themselves, though, try to enforce that in our program at the high school, and on top of that, to work hard and to listen.
1: I mean that's just where the parental reinforcement comes in at that point. You know, it's that's very important I and mean, we need to we, we need the parents to understand that, you know, if a if a coach sits a kid for whatever reason, just to throw an example out there, I mean <clears throat> I've had players play for me where they strike out to end the inning and you know, they become very upset, you know, and they're kids. I mean I expect them to be upset, you know, it's, but then when I have to then bench that player because he's simply not ready to go play defense. It's not because he struck out. It's not because he's crying. I mean, it, it is because he's crying. But it's because they can't compose themselves after they've had their 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Listen, you can, I want you to be upset because it shows you care. right? So if you're unable to refocus that energy and then put it into something productive, you can't help the team. But if a, but if a parent is going to look in and just see that their their son is on the bench after they just struck out to end the inning, they're going to think that there's some negative connotations to that when simply it's us as coaches trying to reinforce that, okay, I'm going to give you your moment. You're still not ready after your moment. You have to sit here until you're ready to go. Um, we're not going to jeopardize the the strength of the team because – you know you, you just can't pull it together. And again, it's it's all part of growing up, and it's all part of these kids dealing with failure. But at the same time, they have to be able to move past it. So we just need the parents to reinforce what we as coaches are doing, uh, because we always do things with a purpose.
0: Yeah, and and they're you know what you said. If you're doing those type of things and making that type of c- decision, you're doing it in the best interest of the kid. Right? it's hard to see. Yeah. And most of the coaches that we know, uh, I, I would definitely say the coaches that work here for us, but even coaches at competing programs and guys that are just in our network that we know and we know well are are the same way. They have the kids' best interest as a priority. But we we also know that there's coaches out there that have a win-at-all-cost mentality at the same time. And I think that the majority who understand the process can easily see that the path a player should take uh, relative to their age and their goals. So, you know, many times parents of younger players will say, and I hear this a lot. If my son plays with better kids or against against better kids, it will make him a better player. Now, I've never bought into that wholly. I felt that it was more ac- inaccurate than accurate, although every now and then we certainly run across a player, a couple players that should definitely be challenged and putting them in that challenging environment, which could be playing against better players, is the right thing for them. It doesn't necessarily mean they would have been better on a team more appropriate to their size and their age or grade. It just simply means that they displayed something that told us, you know what, let's give this kid a kick up because we think it's going to draw something out of him, right, that may not be otherwise drawn playing against his own grade or age, for example. It
2: it might not be a full-time thing either. It might be a trial basis. yes. and, And to back up a little bit to consider also that we're at practice every day And we do certain things every day within our practices as coaches, and we see a lot of things. Sometimes we forget that it's not really a game reaction, it's what we've seen this kid do or not do in a performance and practice. So we evaluate there. It's not just game-like situations that we evaluate in. And when you add to that that, you know, sports are supposed to be about getting better um, and about learning and about making it an educational experience, and we we get caught sometimes in this me first versus team thing. And baseball is a really big sport in that respect because it's so individualized at times. Kid's on a mound trying to throw strikes. He's not throwing strikes. Who's, you know, who we blaming? Mm-hmm. Who yeah. we looking at? Um, kid's not getting that big hit in that situation. Who we blaming? So on top of that, they the skills that we teach are very individualized at times. They're doing drill work on their own. They're working on their own. So what we have to really think about is We have to find that happy medium between selfishness and selflessness. Where does that come into play? How can I help my team? How can I help my teammates? How can I get better to help that situation? I believe that when we think like this, it makes it less personal and allows us to see that we can help by getting better and that we can help each other. Now, competing against better people, I do see some merit to that, but Again, to what extent? How far do we go with that? Do we put a kid in a situation where he's outmatched and then he doesn't succeed? And then, um, you know, the competition is necessary. they got to get better with competition. Yeah.
0: But. So when I hear that, it's usually because a kid is not doing well. Not because they're doing so well, it's clear they don't belong. So usually when it comes to my desk, if you will, on a Monday morning, it's uh, a player that may not be on what we would consider our A-team here as an example, and that kid over the weekend you know, went 0-3 and made two errors and played four out of the six innings. There are some parents out there whose expectations are as such that they'll call me on a Monday and say that the reason he went 0-3 made two errors is because he's playing below his skill level and that if we had him on the quote-unquote A team, he would be a better player. And that's usually when it's rearing its ugly head. And it's not all the time. It's just very certain parents with very certain misaligned expectations of not only of their kid but of the program they're in. And I've seen it in soccer in lacrosse, uh, and lacrosse and everything.
2: The same thing is said educationally sometimes. The course yeah. isn't, isn't challenging enough, <laughs> so my kid's aren't motivated to do the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I can't buy into it. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It, just, it, it. Just, it, just, it doesn't flow with me. And with the ugly truth behind all of this is that there's 100 options for every kid out there, every sport. So if they don't hear what they want from Club Program Number One, they have to call up Club Program Number Two, and they will likely uh, pay them some money to be told exactly what they want to hear, regardless if it's the right thing for the player.
1: Yeah, but then that usually changes one season in. Then they start. Then then they start hearing what we've been saying, and that's just because we've seen it far too many times. Yeah, and others. I
0: mean, look, I, I don't want to make it seem like we're uh, yeah, you know no, walking absolutely. on water here. I know a lot of very good programs in the area who are similar to us, and they take a stance and a hard stance sometimes, and those are generally, we know it because we'll see a kid come try out for us from those programs, it's because they've heard something they didn't want to hear. Uh, But we also know the programs in the area and around the country who will take anybody with a dollar, Uh, and it's like a puppy mill, just for baseball or softball. Mm -hmm. I kind of compare it to choosing a high school, too. We,
2: We certainly have a lot of public school kids that decide to go private, and Sometimes it's because the expectations are a little bit too high uh, or they see that it might be able to do something for them that they believe their high school team can't. Other times it's to run from the problems that exist yeah. around them, even if it's just personality conflicts that they have with other kids. You know, we, sometimes we set our goals too high. I, think, I feel like club programs should provide opportunity. It gives you an opportunity to work at something you love, gives you an opportunity to improve, gives you an opportunity to gain skills other than just baseball life skills, develop friendships. It should be an educational experience on top of, right, educationally baseball-wise, but educationally life-wise. Now, obviously there are situations where kids feel, or parents feel like their kid is being hurt in some particular way. Mm -hmm. And we kind of have to toe the line with that. I I don't, I haven't met a lot of guys and girls who coach baseball and softball whose intent is to hurt a kid. So, That's very different to me, and that's a very different story. If that's happening, yes, I I understand that. That person
1: generally wouldn't have a job then at that point. Exactly, and and,
2: and it's happened. We've seen it happen. Now, we also have to recognize that certain things, you know, there are certain skills that we have that we don't, that we peak at and we can't get better at sometimes. I mean, you know, or maybe I don't have that skill. I haven't learned how to sing. Yeah. You know, so, so I, and, and I look at it like I can, I know I can make a kid faster. I can't make a kid fast. Yeah. He's either faster ready and I can get him a little faster or he's slow and I'm getting him a little faster, but I can't turn him into a world-class sprinter. Right. right. I, I, and I know Olympic coaches can't either. They do the best they can in that, in that regard. Yeah. But, uh, and there's, there's a piece, there's so many other pieces to this, right? We can fix mechanics and help you throw faster or throw harder but we, you know, I don't know that we're going to get a kid breaking 100. Yeah, no, it's all process. It's, it's all about you, you fix one
1: thing to help improve those numbers. But it takes a lot of time. You're not – it's very difficult to see immediate results. Now, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it, it is difficult to see c- uh, continued immediate results, meaning that I can, I can help a kid – I can help a kid gain ten miles an hour on his exit velocity just by simply showing him a better hand path. You know that it, it could be that simple. But if he already has a good hand path, I'm not going to be able to jump ten. I can jump like two or three. You know, it's it's all relative, and that what we need to start to focus on is. The continued success, small goal, small goal, small goal.
2: You'll eventually get to that big goal. I mean, it's it's human nature to try to find a, a better route, right? You, mm-hmm. You're trying to find a better route to your end goal. It's that that's human nature. Five but, minute abs,
1: trying to get but, that five minute abs. Yeah, but
2: but not through a shortcut, right? Right. I, I'm you know, my truck's pretty good, but if there's no road through that mountain, I can't get can't through go that go mountain. Here. You can't go. So I got I got to find another way, and and I, and I do believe that. What starts to happen is we want, a, we want this immediate reaction as a full-out player. It, it might not be there, and I, I, I hate to use my program, but I'm going to use my program. I have plenty of kids that are talented that come in and may be able to play for me on the varsity level as a freshman or sophomore, but they go somewhere else, and they, they don't play to they're a junior or senior. Now, I don't know. We, like, what's better? I, I feel like we play good enough competition. What's better, playing on good competition for four years or playing
0: good competition for one or two?
2: I, like, I, I have a hard time kind of juggling that piece.
0: Or they can go to private school and start as a freshman. <laughs> depending on that private school. Right, depending on – well, that's it, – it, but that's the process, right? right? Pick a small enough private school where they know they're going to go in and there's 15 people on varsity and there's no JV or freshman team. Mm-hmm. They get to carry that banner around and, and brag of yeah. being a freshman that started varsity at XYZ private school as if the rest of the world doesn't understand Check,
2: yeah. what that actually Check means. Check the schedule they play first, too, yeah. though, to see who they're playing. And that's turning into
1: just general high schools around here in the area because as we're seeing and we've, we've discussed previously in other shows is that the high school numbers, like the, the, the public high school numbers are dropping. So you're getting these freshmen or sophomores that have to start on varsity programs, uh, not necessarily because they're, they are the best, but they're just not the worst. Yeah. and they're needed at that point.
0: Yeah, and yeah, they might get their wish regardless in that case. Well, speaking of keeping more kids playing baseball and softball, another great opportunity for a segue. We're going to talk about our Let's Have a Catch Foundation. This is brand new. Uh, very excited to introduce it and use uh, the Diamond Talk podcast as my platform to introduce it. It's taken... Uh, I mean, look, this is probably a year plus in the making. It's taken a few months for this to come together and all the bits and pieces and paperwork and things like that. You'd be surprised what goes in to starting an organization to do things for no money. Uh, But there's a lot that does go into it, and and rightfully so. Um, So, you know, let, let me talk a little bit about what Let's Have a Catch is. It's a nonprofit organization whose volunteers will do something pretty much every boy and girl should have the opportunity to do, at least in my opinion. Uh, when they're a kid, and that's to go out and just have a catch. Uh, It's the first thing taught to kids uh, that introduces them to the sport, but, you know, it's a great moment for connection and bonding. And uh, there's a lot of kids out here right in our area, uh, the New Jersey, New York metro area, that just don't have the resources or the support available uh, for them to, to, to be able to go and just have a catch. And one of our main goals is to introduce baseball and softball to the kids but it's also about spending quality time with them, which is which is really at the core of this.
1: Yeah. Uh, what I love most about this is it's, the, it's our ability to give back not only with material things like gloves and baseballs because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, every player will Everyone. receive their Baseball, own – Baseball,
0: softball, glove, yep.
1: Yep, they're going to get their own glove, and they're going to get a ball to take home with them. Um, so it, it gives us the opportunity to not only provide material things – uh, but, but more so, the ability to just give our knowledge and our passion about the game to these kids. You know, having a catch, like you said, is such a fundamental, you know, thing. And it can it can be boring to like to players in the right circumstances, uh, or to a more advanced player. But you know, in some in some areas, and these kids just they don't have the ability or they don't have the luxury to just go grab their mom or dad or just another sibling and, and go out in the yard and and just throw any type of ball—baseball, football,
2: you know, anything. I love the concept. As you said, promoting the sport we love, but also connecting with these kids. And um, they may not come away from this loving the sport, which is fine, but developing skills to take them further in life is, yeah. is a really
0: cool concept. Yeah, and look, in some respect, as the American pastime, having a catch uh, feels like a rite of passage of sorts. You know, for all of us, the three of us here, it's, it's probably uh, talking on behalf of you guys, it's hard to imagine that not being a part of, of my childhood. Uh, it's it's impossible for me to think about not being taught how to just go out and have a catch and you know my dad bringing me out and you know, we were, I was a New Yorker but it didn't matter you went out in the street uh, and that moment for me and anyone else um, that was taught by their mom their dad a sibling in my opinion it's what every kid really deserves and whether they they continue like like Taylor said whether they continue to play baseball or softball it's really not the point. Well, ha- there's
2: also a hand-eye coordination aspect, right? That carries over to other sports. Yeah. The, possibly other aspects of athleticism if they got to move to catch that ball a little bit. Right. But, uh, but even the appreciation that the sports brings, right? The appreciation of having to work hard, appreciation of how difficult it is, appreciation of perseverance, things that could have come up in some of our other topics earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then relationships that are being built, right? Relationships with the people that are working with you, relationships with other players. I'm excited about it. I'd, I'd love to get my program involved.
0: I'm, I'm, I think this is a really cool That's thing. That's the plan. Definitely. And, and look, we for those listening and interested, uh, we are looking for volunteers to work with us. Uh, it's pretty easy to get started. Visit the website at letshaveacatch.org and uh, there's a form to fill out there. You know, we, we do background checks on all the volunteers for obvious reasons, but after that it's pretty simple. It's a matter of uh, us working with you on your schedule and availability to come out and help us with these kids. And We're also taking donations of gloves, baseballs, and softballs. Uh, we're also going to be uh, looking to purchase some as well, but to get us started, we're going to be using um, donations initially to kind of get a bunch of it built up so we can start and hit the ground running right away. Hey, so that's going to be a wrap for this week's episode of Diamond Talk on behalf of uh, Coach Falzerano, Coach Taylor. We are real thankful that you tuned in, and uh, don't forget to follow us on social channels. We're at uh, Diamond Talk Show. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and online at diamondtalkshow.com. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Look out for our next episode, and we'll see you on the diamond.